In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Today's passage um, reveals that following Jesus is not a passive activity, but an active one. It also reveals that following Jesus will likely require some sacrifice on your behalf at some point. I want us to begin this morning with a question that's as old as time. It's a question many people face when deciding whether they want to follow Jesus. And the question is, what must I do? What must I do? to inherit eternal life. Title this message this morning, What Must I Do? That's a broad question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I want you to turn with me in your Bible or in your bulletin or watch behind me on the screen to Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Let me see if this thing's going to play with me today. How about that? Today's story I want to point out to you appears in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, which tells us the importance of the lesson therein. It reveals looking at heaven requires looking at something earthly. We actually need to look at something that we understand that we've all held in our hands. And the sad truth is it's something that we can't live without in this world today. If something has the power for good and the power to destroy. And despite its seductive power, it's actually something that none of us can do without. It's something we all need. And that's something that I'm talking about this morning is money. We all need it. But can our love of money keep us from heaven? You betcha. Scripture clearly reveals to us a tension between earthly riches and God's kingdom, my friends. And one of the most misquoted passages in the entire Bible, Paul warns young Timothy, the love of the money is the root of all kinds of evil. But money itself is not evil. Money is a tool. Money is the muscle behind ministry. But least we never forget that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And not much has changed in the thousands of years that have passed since this passage was first spoke. In fact, if anything, it's only got worse since these words were first spoken so long ago. And the truth is that we all have to pray for provision in our lives. And we thank God for the many blessings that we do receive. Many of those provisions need to be monetary. They have to have a monetary value to them, like our homes, our cars, our bank accounts. And we all need those kind of things. We all have and enjoy many blessings in this lifetime. In fact, friends, we are among the most wealthy people in the world. In fact, some of the most wealthy people in the world, by world standards, are in this room today. So don't start looking around and trying to figure out who that might be. I might be. We don't have any super wealthy people. We can put it like that. 
But the fact is, if you make over $55,000 in a salary and benefits, you are among the top 9% of the world's wealthiest people. You may think that we're struggling in this life if we don't have enough money in our pocket to eat out. But the truth is, my friends, many don't have enough money to eat at all. We could probably all agree that we are all pretty wealthy by world standards. So I want us to look at this passage this morning through those lenses, that we sit here today as some of the wealthiest people in the world. So let's follow along, beginning at verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, the he right here is Jesus. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? Before we go any further, I just want to pause right there for just one moment. I need to point out that in the time this was written and the time this event took place, men, especially men with power, did not run. They just didn't do it. Now, it could have been but the fact that they were wearing dresses. I don't really know what, the, you know what that would have been like. I can say I've never done that, but I've run in my life. But men did not run. It was not part of their culture. And when I think of someone running today, the first thing I think of in my mind is that there's some sort of emergency. First responders run, don't they? We hope they do, especially if we're needing them. They don't just walk up to the accident. That never happens. They get out and they run to the scene of the emergency. So I want you to try to imagine today, as hard as it is for us in our culture, to imagine this rich young man running. Keep in mind, he had money, power, and influence. But one thing he didn't have, he didn't have an answer for the burning question within his heart. The question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? To him, this was an urgent situation. In fact, it tells me that in his mind and his heart, this was an emergency passage then says that he got there and he knelt down, which shows something else that people with money, power, and influence rarely did back then, and they rarely even do so today. And that is it shows respect. It shows reverence. It shows submission. It shows, in fact, humility. So this young wealthy man runs up to Jesus with a sense of urgency in his life as if it's an emergency. And when he gets to Jesus and he realizes who he is, he's in complete awe and he humbles himself on his knees before him. And then comes his question, followed by his prideful presumption. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus then states some commandments that are from the law of Moses. And the man quickly says, all these I have kept since my youth. Then we see in verse 21, Jesus looking at him, loved him, and he said to him, you know what, before we go by that, right here, this guy comes up to Jesus on his knees begging from him, and Jesus looks at him after he's already pronounced that he's kept the law completely, and he looks at him and he says he loved him and he said to him, I love that. That's worth stopping there for a moment because this man comes up to Jesus, who Jesus doesn't know, but he knows his heart, and he says that he loves him just the way he is, but he loves him so much he doesn't want to let him stay that way. He's willing to give him something that's 
priceless. But Jesus said to the young man, though, you lack one thing. You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, let me ask you a question. How would you feel today if I said to you this morning, if you're in a house larger than 1,200 square foot, go home and sell it. If you're no longer working, sell your car. Yes, that's the one with the sunroof and the air-conditioned leather seats. Sell that, too. Give up all your expensive hobbies and activities, which means no Cowboys game this afternoon for you. Don't buy any Christmas gifts this year. Give up eating out for an entire year. Give up all your money and give it to a missionary to rescue orphan children on the other side of the planet. Then you can really become a follower of Jesus. Well, you look at me like I'm crazy, which you were looking at me like I'm at right now. Is Jesus telling us in this passage, friends, that we can enjoy this life and the blessings of it? Absolutely not. We don't have to be materially poor to follow Jesus. We don't have to feel guilty about having luxuries or wealth in our lives. You see, friends, it's about our heart here. This is a heart issue. It's about our heart and the key to the relationship with our Savior. Jesus makes it very clear it's how we handle our money, our generosity, and our time, and our trusting God's provisions that show where our hearts are. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You can serve God and money, you can't do it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, it's really strange that you think about it, that Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven, hell, prayer, and faith all combined in the scriptures. That's why he says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He knew the challenge it would become in our lives. He knew it would become or could become an idol in our lives. Jesus is not saying that money is a stumbling block for everyone. But it was for this rich young rule that we meet today in this well-known story that we hear in all three Gospels. And money is for many still today the stumbling block in their lives. But you see, Jesus saw the emptiness and the loneliness in this man's heart. He saw the struggle he had with these things that had filled and cluttered his life with temporal pleasure. He saw the burden those idols had become in this man's life. So Jesus offered the man the opportunity to cast those burdens away and this rich young ruler, who probably could have come on the team that day with the 12, we don't know. But he's cast off into history as the guy that said no to Jesus. And it broke the Lord's heart. And we'll never know till we get to heaven if he changed his mind. Jesus, looking around the crowd and his disciples that day, said, material things can make it difficult to see the spiritual things needed in this life. It's hard enough to enter the kingdom of God when you're poor. It's even harder when we have idols cluttering our lives and keeping us busy all the time. The more we have, the wiser we must be, or our things will soon own us. I once saw a little sign one time that I 
have in my office today, and I bought it. And it says, use things, not people. Love people, not things. You see, folks, the Jewish people at the time of Jesus, they had a twisted theology. They thought that God wanted them all to be healthy and wealthy, and there's churches around us that will teach you that today. They thought that a rich Jewish person had been in the favor of God for some reason, and that a poor or sick person had somehow sinned against God. But Jesus turned that twisted theology upside down. And seeing this man's heart and knowing the crowd's misguided theology, Jesus explained just how difficult it would be for them to get into the kingdom of God if they thought that was going to be their entry. Jesus said they had the chances that were as good as that of an eight-foot-tall creature with a hump on his back squeezing through the eye of the needle. Folks, those aren't good odds. And why is that? Because forced to decide between Jesus and your wealth, you will only see what you're giving up and not what you're gaining. I think one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard anywhere around this passage was said by a man by the name of Jim Elliott. He was a missionary. He died in Ecuador at the age of 28. And he said these words are absolutely timeless. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Mm. Jesus' astonished disciples were thinking, hey, man, if this rich guy can't get in, it's not looking good for us. And that's what they thought. Peter tipped it off when he said, then who can be saved? He spoke his heart at that moment, and Jesus knew where it was coming from. And that's when Jesus looked at him in verse 27 and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things, all things are possible with God. Friends, it's very easy to miss the eternal while focusing on the temporal in our lives. The rich young man missed the reality of this question about eternal life. His wealth had become a barrier to understand what Luke 12, 15, I think, more clearly tells us on this. And that is, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The rich man that day missed what Jesus was teaching. But the disciples that were standing there next to Jesus all missed it too. In verse 28, Peter said, Hey, we've left everything to follow you. We've left it all, man. I left the family fishing business. It was good. What he's saying right there, folks, is can we be saved? Are we really on the team, the eternal team? Jesus then told them that they had made an investment in eternity already. He reminds his disciples of the rewards and the special honor reserved for those who have followed the Lord. Whatever we get up for Jesus and his kingdom will be returned many, many times over. Not to mention the greatest reward of all, and that is the priceless gift of eternity beyond this life, of struggle. So let me ask you this morning, what are you investing in today? What are you investing in, in your life toward eternity? 
C.S. Lewis reminds us in this quote here, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at the earth and you won't get neither. A person who's of the world can't see that, friends. And they won't make that sacrifice. Paul reminds, in fact, young Timothy his first letter to him in the sixth chapter, and these words here that I think are so prevalent this morning. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing and ready to share. Mm. Friends, this gospel lesson this morning, timely brought into my life, I would say. This gospel lesson this morning tells a story of a man who made a bad decision about one thing. And that was he would not give up what meant most to him for Jesus. For him, it was money. For us, though, it might be something else. Have you ever asked yourself that question? You ever even thought about it? What is it that you couldn't live without or give up today for Jesus? Could it be time? Is it holding back time from the Lord today? Time to serve in the church, to serve in our community, to attend a Bible study or some other ministry opportunity in these walls or around us? Could it be fear? Preached on it all summer. There's a lot of fear going around in our culture today. Are you holding on to fear? Unable to have faith in some area in your life? Not trusting in the Lord who says 365 times in the scriptures? Do not be afraid. Could it be your job? I, some in this room and many others that I pastor every day in my industry are currently wrestling with losing their jobs because of our convictions to religious freedom and the freedom of choice and the sacredness of the temples of the Holy Spirit which each of us have stewardship over in this world. Could it be your health? God created our bodies with an amazing immune system. But there are many conflicting voices in this world today, friends, telling us what's best for our lives and for our health. Or could it be your family? can't tell you how many times I've pastored people through challenges in their family and their faith. Jesus knew that. And that's why he drilled deep in it in verse 29. You get it up there? Got it. Jesus is right now is giving them a lesson and also giving them an answer to their questions of their hearts. He says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, 
and the last will be first. Friends, Jesus reveals a whole new world order in those words right there. These verses tell us also that we will never be able to outgive God in our lives, ever. But I want you to take notice of two little words that Jesus placed in this 30th verse behind me. He said with persecutions. Friends, a time is drawing near where far more persecutions is our religious freedom and our freedom of choice is being challenged more and more each and every day. Think about that. In fact, it's likely going to get more and more costly for all of us to truly follow Jesus. Jesus' disciples, my friends, <laughs> face some tough choices, and it costs them a lot more than money. Many people in churches today think they're following Jesus. <clears throat> But I ask you, are they really? Many people think they're following Jesus, but really what they've done is they've invited Jesus to follow them. Because, see, the reality is many people just want Jesus to follow them, to serve them. I want to close with this this morning. There was once a young woman who desperately wanted to go to college. But her heart sank when she read this one question on the application. The question was, are you a leader? The young woman was both honest and very conscientious. So she wrote, no. Then she returned the application and expected the worst. She was shocked. And she got an acceptance letter that said these words. Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals this year that our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel that it is imperative that they have at least one follower. <laughs> Friends, to be leaders of Jesus, we must first be followers. We're all going to come to a day, my friends, when we're going to have to make difficult choices. And it's a choice that all of us will wrestle with. And when that day comes, I'm going to leave you with one verse that will set that place for you the rest of your days. And it comes to us from the book of Proverbs. And if you've ever heard me in a pulpit or been known me, you know I'm going to preach this to you because this is a life verse for this season in our lives if you're making a decision. And that is to simply trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding, but acknowledge him. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path. That's what's required of us on test day. Friends, the test is coming. Strengthen yourself for that. We've got a God who's promised us to live, never leave or forsake us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.